Welcome to the latest episode of The Grower and The Economist. I'm Michelle Klieger, The Economist. And I'm Peter Conjoyan, The Grower. Each week, we team up to tackle the biggest challenges facing small and medium-sized growers. We're one part grower and one part economist, just like your business. Welcome to this episode of The Grower and The Economist. Today, Peter and I are joined by Myrna Greenfield, farm and food marketing consultant and author of Marketing Your Farm. Last year, Myrna and I got the opportunity to meet at a local food distributor show in Massachusetts, in the Boston area, and we keep running into each other. So I'm really excited to have you here today to talk more about marketing. I know lots of people don't love talking about marketing, but it's a really important part of your business. And I love the angle Myrna takes on just, we're already doing this. So let's, you know, set it up and make it thing. So thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to this conversation. Thanks a lot, Michelle and Peter. I'm really excited to be here. I love talking about this topic. Great. Well, Peter always likes to start with how did you get where you are today? Did you always dream of becoming a food and farm marketing consultant? Or was it a windy path to get here? <laughs> That's a great question. I would definitely say a windy path, but looking back on it, I think I was destined to be a food and farm marketing <laughs> consultant. That's because I've been a marketer pretty much since I was in college, and I've been a foodie pretty much since I've been in college. And in 2010, I decided to become a professional food marketing consultant uh, to combine those two areas of, of passion and, and experience. Myrna, where did you go to school and what did you major in back back then? I was a student at Washington University in St. Louis, and I was a double major in political science and women's studies, which doesn't uh, give you any sense at all that I would become a food marketing consultant. Mm -hmm. But I did uh, become very interested in, in food. I read Francis Moore LePay's book, Diet for a Small Planet. Mm. And I was just awestruck by the idea that by eating intentionally and lower on the food chain, that, that you could actually make a difference. And so I actually became a pescatarian on the spot. Although I've worked with many livestock farmers and appreciate the role that livestock farming can play in a diversified farm system that's been my uh, path all these years. And I think that's helped me to, even before I knew specifically, I had a passion for, for working with farmers, just an appreciation for having fresh food, healthy food, local food before it was an, an official thing. Myrna, one of the reasons I enjoy asking our guests about their educational and career backgrounds and paths is that I, I sense that it's more the norm than the exception that most of us arrived at where we are via the winding path route. <laughs> and I'm a firm believer in, at the undergraduate level, I really don't care what a student's major is. I view undergraduate studies as just teaching our mind how to think, teaching our brain how to think and, and navigate life. 
And it's not until graduate studies that it's more important to pick a field and zero in. So I'm always, as Michelle said, interested in hearing these educational paths and your dual major. Many folks might reflect back and say, well, I'm not sure that my degree is helping me, but yes, always there's an undercurrent that we're benefiting and connecting dots regardless of a major. So thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, yeah. And I I totally agree with you. I think what the benefit of college that I hope everyone has the chance to experience is to learn to think critically and ask questions. And I did actually go back to get an MBA in, in, in fact, at the ripe old age in my 40s, because at that point I had done marketing for many years, but I really felt like I needed the business skills, the economics and the finance and the bookkeeping. And even though I'd been a marketer for all those years, I still had plenty of tricks to learn. So uh, it was a wonderful experience because it was specialized, not specifically on food, but it really gave me the opportunity to add those skills to my toolkit. Wonderful. Well, let's start with a beginning question of what is marketing or how do you define marketing? (laughs) That's funny because whenever I teach classes about marketing with farmers, I always ask them to say (laughs) what they think marketing is and what marketing isn't is just tactical. It's not that you're doing so social media is a form of marketing. It's a marketing tactic, but marketing is basically about you, the seller connecting with your customers. It's some form of exchange, which uh, in some cases for nonprofits, it could be an idea. In the case of farms, they're typically exchanging products, services, or increasingly they're offering experiences. So it's basically about what do you have that you are offering And are you offering it to people who are going to be excited about what you have? Are you presenting it in a way that helps them understand your intentions, who you are, your, your personal style, all those things that uh, instinctively draw people to a particular farm and particular products. And out of curiosity, what do most of the farmers say? Do they stick to more of that tactical side of the marketing definition when you ask? It really ranges. It, it, a lot of them will say tactical things, but a lot of them will say sales and sales marketing. There's so much overlap that I do not bother to create a, a definitive line between the one and the other because sales is, is getting the actual product or service or experience to the consumer or customer. Marketing is the way that you get them, persuade them to, uh, want that product. But uh, farmers will say things like, it's a pain in the neck, or (laughs) not something they want to do. They often won't define it. It, Occasionally, uh, farmers, especially those who have off-farm jobs or second careers, are very clear about what marketing is. They, They usually focus on the tactical things. But they show up for your class and hopefully they're reading your book. So you seem to be at least marketing that part of it well, that, you know, it's not just this tactical, it's not something to run away from, or maybe that it's important. I don't know. 
Yeah, I think that they do want to unveil the mystery and, and find out what marketing is. I, I think the questions that people usually have and the reasons that bring them to my class is, well, how much time and money should I be spending? How do I know it's working? What should I be doing? They just want someone to tell them what to do in most cases. They don't really want to become a marketing expert, and, and that's fine because I really tried in the book to give people some very specific suggestions and examples of here's things you can do if you want to do X or here's what you can do if you want to do Y. You know, the, the this conversation is so appropriate, Myrna. Michelle and I have have one similar to this repeatedly. And and as a former grower myself, I, I think I'd like to think that I can put myself into their minds and understand how how they're thinking. And many of us got into farming and greenhouse production because we enjoy growing plants. There's a, a large part of our daily routine that's very linear in terms of thinking. How many parts per million am I injecting into my fertilizer line? How many pounds of nitrogen per acre am I applying? And we like having those answers. Uh, and then when we get to economics in, in, in the business management, Michelle's area of expertise, that still is fairly linear, but the response is what you mentioned a, a moment ago, you know, oh, why do I need to do that? Or do I really have to do that? You know, we're, we're not trained in business. Now we get into marketing and to me, it, it becomes a little more abstract as you're describing it. And, and it makes sense to me that some of those questions that you're fielding from fellow growers include, why do I have to do that? Why do I need to learn this? Michelle and I are also hearing it from them in the more numbers anchored area of economics and budgeting and whatnot. Well, why do I need to do that? Michelle, why, why, what is return on investment? Why do I need to do it? And you're working with us to explain that that's not the holy grail in itself. We just need to understand more about economics in general. So it's really interesting, Myrna, you're, you're, you're digging into something that they need in presentations, it's as much about how you're presenting the topic to them mm -hmm. as it is about the details so that we don't glaze their eyes over, so that we don't have them stomping off and not paying attention. Is, is that what you're experiencing? Yeah, definitely. I, 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 in my book, I, when I talk about, there's a whole section on what is marketing, I say it's a combination of art and science. So there's a lot of data in marketing that should make data-oriented people very happy because there actually is a way to answer, how do I know if it's working? It's not quite as cut and defined as some aspects of science, but it's still something that, that there are specific ways you can go about measuring results. And I, the whole section of the book is focused on measurement from really simple techniques to the more advanced ones that a, a bigger enterprise might need. And so, I, I do really try to focus on that mindset because having worked with farmers directly since 2010, I'm, I'm super, I, I'd like to think I understand how it feels from the farmer's perspective that, and it's true for any entrepreneur, except for those of us who go into marketing as our business that, you know, you don't go into business because you want to become a marketer. You go and you have to market in order to have a successful business. Very and, cool. You know, one thing that I heard in a previous podcast of yours is that 
the situation for farmers is a lot different now than it was decades ago. And, you know, I'm talking about people who sell at least some of their products directly. I, I have no expertise in commodity farming. I have no advice for a commodity farmer. Um, if you're listening, commodity farmer, I apologize. I, I don't know what to tell you. But for anyone who sells um, either direct to consumers or wholesale, I have a lot of things to say. And uh, the thing is that it's different than it was decades ago. There are more farmers that are trying to sell direct. The wholesale market um, keeps putting pressure on farmers to sell at lower and lower prices. And then you've got climate change on top of all the uh, risks that farmers faced before. And so I try to be as helpful as possible in, in the book in terms of saying, here are some things to think in mind, uh, to keep in mind that can help you plan what you should be farming, how you're going to farm, how you're going to be a viable farm, because it, it is, it's not, not your imagination farmers, it is harder than it used to be. Well, and I appreciate in the book, as much as you do get to the, you know, how those metrics and how you're going to measure just starting at the beginning. I mean, that the flower of the six peas really resonated with me. I think that, you know, when we talk about the business or farming or marketing of farming, there's this distinction, right? I mean, Peter has talked about the people that want to be in the greenhouse or in the field or wherever actually doing it. And you can be really good at that, but you're not going to stay in business if you can't sell anything. Like at the end of the day, we have to move these products. And I think one of the places where like that first leap happens is asking yourself, what are you really selling? Are you mm -hmm. selling a food? Are you selling a flower? Are you selling, Peter has mentioned it many times that, you know, research shows that flowers in your house make you feel better. Are mm. you selling health? Are you selling environment? Are you selling an experience? Community? What are you selling both in the products themselves and the attributes or the experience? And that to me is a really big step to make, to, to get from, I'm just growing these things to, I want people to experience them and how do I get there? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, people do have to go out of their way to choose your products, services, or experiences, either because they have some other alternative, another farm that's closer, or because they can just go to the grocery store. And, and plenty of local stores do offer local foods, so you can directly from markets and, and lots of channels. But in general, extra dollar from the consumer and to get their loyalty, you have to be meeting a need or desire that's deeper than simply getting fed because you want them to keep coming back. It, it just, you save so much time and money and it's so much more rewarding when you have loyal customers. And that's a lot of the focus of the book is how do you build that? And you build it through meeting that need or desire. And, and just like you were saying that why do people want flowers around their house? It has a, a, a deeper meaning. And when they know they're buying it from the farmer, and how that farmer has grown those flowers and the role that flowers play in that farm's overall ecology, then it just reinforces that good feeling that is similar to philanthropy. You know, why do people donate to nonprofits? 
they donate because they believe in the cause and because it reinforces a feeling about themselves that I'm a good person who cares about helping others. And, and so uh, successful nonprofit marketing, which I've done a lot of, really involves helping people feel, feel recognized and, and feel that feeling so that there's a positive association whenever they see that email in the box from your farm or your nonprofit that they feel like, oh, goody, let's see what they have to say today instead of, oh my God, another solicitation or something else cluttering my inbox. Help me understand a little bit. Michelle and I came together and we're very, let's say, unapologetic in that we're aiming our podcast, we're aiming our efforts at small to medium-sized operations, be they farms and food or flowers and greenhouses. Tell us, you've already referenced that you're, you're not participating in the commodity end of agriculture. So, and, and that's actually what brought the three of us together today, learning that we're geographically in each other's backyards doing the same things or interested in the same objectives. So tell us a little bit more about what drew you to small farmers. Well, I feel that the small farmers are tend to be the ones who will benefit the most from getting the practical business and marketing advice. And I, I divide my advice in the book among what I defined as micro farmers, which is making 50,000 a year or less, small farmers, 50,000 to 250,000, and mid-sized, 250 to a million. Uh, the reason why I'm attracted to small farmers is because they have so much potential, and yet, in most cases, I see them struggling. And I see it less so with the mid-sized farms that are up to a million, or in many cases, a, a few million, because they tend to be highly diversified. They usually are multi-generation family farms that own their land, so they don't have that as a drain on their finances. Many times if they're multi-generation, kids have grown up on the farm, so they already know something about farm operations. But even the larger farms are struggling because they're in the competitive market and they need to use their time and resources effectively. So I still think of those even though technically they're not small farmers, I still really enjoy working with them and, and helping them to increase their viability. The small farms, I do have a lot of love for the beginning farmer and the small farmers because there's so many different things they need to know. There's so many things competing for their time and attention. And I feel like by giving them a more focused agenda as far as their marketing that can help them stop worrying about marketing and just benefiting from doing fewer things more effectively rather than feeling like, oh my God, I have to be on TikTok because everybody else is on TikTok or whatever, you know, the latest shiny new thing is. You just sort of mentioned this making time and not having to do anything. And earlier it sounded when we were talking a little bit about those metrics, it sounded to me like there's sort of this decision tree of what you're trying to accomplish and then where you need to go. Is that accurate? Did I get that correctly, that there are different channels? And it sounds like you set people up to make those decisions often. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, I have a, a four step process for what I call speed marketing, which is most farmers don't want to sit down and spend weeks and weeks creating a marketing plan or hiring a marketing consultant. And so I've developed a process that I do in workshops and, and just in that session, people walk away with sort of at least a rough idea of this is my marketing plan. And the four steps are having a really clear goal, having a clear sense of who your target audience is, who you're trying to sell to is, then what specific tactics are you going to use in order to get that, those people to do whatever it is you want them to do? And then how are you going to measure it? And by thinking about all of those things at once, it makes it, once people understand the concepts, it's much easier to say, well, I'm not going to try to define all of my marketing at once, but I do know, for example, that my goal is to get more people who come to the farm once to come to my farm stand again. So if you have a tangible goal like that is I want to attract more second time or repeat visitors, then you can think about, well, how will I measure that? And there are a variety of ways you could measure it from giving people a coupon that they can use the next time they come back, getting them to sign up for your social media, which doesn't guarantee that they're there in person, but then in the social media, you could potentially have an offer that you share with them. So thinking about something tangible that you can measure is very, very helpful. Many farms have point of sale systems. And so if people agree for you to track them in the point of sale through a loyalty program or something, you can very tangibly track whether or not they're repeat customers. But then when you're in the middle steps, you've got your goal, you've got your measurement, and then your audience that in this case is people who uh, are first time visitors uh, that I want to become second time visitors. So you're very tangible about that. And, and then you can start thinking about, well, what would make them excited about coming back? You know, is it that we have really great customer service? Is it that we throw something special in that they didn't expect? Is it that we're family friendly and their kids beg their mom to, or dad, you know, can we come back? You know, what, what kinds of things can you offer? Maybe you are a millennial farmer and you've got a sort of attitude in your farm that people feel like, hey, I fit in here, I belong here. This, these are my, my people I wanna hang around with. And then the specific tactics, I really encourage people to maybe even try just one tactic at a time because then you can figure out, oh, I did this one thing and I measured it. Whereas if you're trying lots of different things at once, then it's harder to prove you know, what it was. Although the bottom line is, if you know in one way or another that people are coming back, to a certain extent, you've achieved your goal. So I, I, I try to be as um, loose as possible with this uh, in terms of, you know, just make a set a, a specific goal that is going to have a clear impact on your business. And, you know, think of some things. And in my workshops, I have people brainstorming together you know, and they talk about, well, what do you do to attract repeat customers, you know, and there's a hundred farmers in the room and they're eager to share what they do that is helpful at getting repeat customers. So I, I love to get that interaction and that's why I enjoy doing workshops because farmers have, I don't tend to be super competitive. Yes, the market is competitive, but I find 
farmers really do tend to see each other as peers and really enjoy helping each other and sharing ideas. So find that that's, that's really rewarding when, when you get that kind of dialogue going and people learn from each other and I continually learn. And, you know, I threw some of those examples in the books, in the book from all the farmers that I've talked to over the years. So it's not just my ideas, but these are things that other people have done that will work for them. Murray, you, you, you made a terrific point describing how, as you're advising growers to adopt some marketing tactics, as a scientist, you struck a chord with me when you said, you know, it's important for them not to change many things, have very, too many variables at, at once, because then they can't measure it. They don't know whether it worked or not. And Michelle, how analogous that is to what we've discussed in the past, where I, as a grower, Myrna, have, it, it's a a constant uh, educational point to teach growers how to properly trial products and practices in, in production. And the first rule of that is to control your variables so that in the end, you know what is responsible for what and whether something worked. And so kudos. Um, I have a, a quick question for you. My, I took a marketing course at the University of New Hampshire. This is almost 50 years ago now. <laughs> and we were taught back then that of the four Ps of marketing, product, place, promotion, price. Now, we don't, I don't wanna go into any of those details, but I'm curious, talk a little bit more about where you see marketing in terms of okay, per, perhaps traditionally we viewed it as a, an art and now research and educators like yourself are trying to shift it from art more to science and based in some facts and numbers. Talk a little bit about that. About them switching it to a more scientific approach? Yeah, like you and I in our lifetime and our careers, I think we are living through marketing evolving and becoming mm -hmm. a little more, there's some numbers to it. We can measure things. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, as I've said before, I do believe that it is a mixture of art and science, but there's no question that marketing has gotten much more uh, analytical. I think uh, there's more, if anyone does any online marketing, it's so much easier to measure anything in online marketing because you can you can track behavior you can track results so much more easily but uh, I do think that in general marketing is more has, has that tangible element of wanting to be proven because I, I think it's because we're we we marketers are tired of, of getting uh, laughed at as a softer science than hard science as we see the the multinationals and the really super giant companies have all this data um, that they get from point of sale that they can use to make choices about what to stock in their stores, make decisions about exactly where height-wise on the shelves that their the product should be stocked so that they maximize sales per square foot. They are so totally analytical. And the 
some farmers are that analytical, especially about soil health and other aspects yield, but lots of other farmers are more doing the farming for the love of it and are resistant to those measurements. They don't want to make all those records and do all that tracking. And it's a choice. You know, I think that I've seen a lot of successful farmers who, and I define success by, are you making a living on it? Who are earning less than 50,000 a year, but they're keeping their family going on it. And they're having a very wonderful lifestyle because they are minimalist. They're living off the land. And so I have total respect for that if that's the lifestyle that you want. But most of us need more than that. Most of us need something to retire on, want to be able to give kids an education, etc. need a cushion. And so if you want a cushion, then I think you do need to be a little bit more scientific about it and think about how can I maximize the income from my farm while not compromising my values. There are ways to do that. There are successful farmers that do that. They tend to be uh, well diversified so that it cushions them from disasters. And it also, uh, while there isn't always synergy between different enterprises on a farm, ideally there, there is synergy so that the people who come for pick your own actually then see your products at their local supermarket and they specifically buy it, even if it's coming in at a higher price because it's organic or because it's eco certified or, you know, just that they know it has greater value. So I, I do believe that doing some amount of analytics, doing some amount of measurement, making the best use of your marketing time is going to help you be a more successful farmer. So I do think that having that element of, of science mixed in with the more right-brained approach is important. But I gave a speech called the power of the purchase order. And so understanding what the consumers are buying and how that influences decisions of what to produce or when. And I think that the, that's really what I'm hearing is that the measuring gives you an opportunity through information to de-risk. Like, I know if I run this campaign, I can move X product, or I know that this is how I'm going to get people back to the farm, or when they come back, they purchase, or when they buy my peaches in the local grocery store, that they're more likely to come in the fall for apple picking, or whatever that combination is, that Mm -hmm. that information, one, gives you more tools on how to get products off your farm, how to make them more valuable, but it also can influence what you're deciding to plant. And we come back to this a lot, but, you know, Peter wasn't allowed to grow cauliflower a second year because it had such a good first year. Like that's one data point on what to grow next year. But the more information you're collecting or paying attention to your marketing or setting goals, you can use those goals to work backwards and say, this is how much I need, or this is what my goal should be on the production. And so you've really integrated the production and the sales of the product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So my question is to you and to my industry at large, why can't 
I be small and successful? Why is it so difficult for me to be successful as a small operation? It's like I was saying that sometimes the micro farms and the mid-sized farms, either end of the spectrum, find it easier to be successful than the small farmer that's growing more than 50,000, but is growing up to 250,000. And I think one of the reasons is that when you get bigger, you can hire someone who is handling at least some of their time they're doing marketing. Maybe they're doing a mixture of marketing and sales or whatever. Um, but the, the small farmer can't afford to have someone working for them full-time on marketing. And so they have to do that on top of everything else. Uh, and then the super small farmer might just only sell through one channel. They might only sell at a farmer's market or only wholesale their product. And so the marketing time they need to spend um, can be much, much simpler. And, you know, one of the things I try to talk about in my book is like, does everybody need a website? Well, it actually, you need a, a digital presence, but you don't necessarily have to have a fancy website. You can have a digital presence either a really simple website that you can easily do yourself. The, the sweet spot in the middle is actually the hardest spot, the sourest spot in a way. The, the small farmer really has challenges because they're expected to do everything and they, they don't have the time or the people to do everything. It's often a couple or um, maybe a farmer and uh, another generation and it's becoming even harder now. Most farmers are having a lot of trouble finding farm labor. Tons of challenges. We, we could easily spend the whole time just talking about this because that's such a challenging question. But those are some, yeah. some of my first responses. Well, and I would throw in an example from totally different sector. And so it's on the commodity side. But a few years ago, I did a project comparing cost of dairy in New England versus the Midwest and cutting to the end, you know, the reason one of the big differences in why New England dairy is more money is it's it's mostly family labor. And basically two things happen when you're family labor. One, you're only milking twice a day because that's what people can do. And two, you're producing a lot of grain on the farm and making it integrated. But when you move out west, right, when you move to the Midwest on those larger operations, that's no longer family labor. And when you're hiring somebody, they're milking three times a day. And so now you've just increased your output right there. Mm -hmm. And you're purchasing grain, you have somebody that's in charge of purchasing grain, and so you're not splitting your focus. And so what I heard there was, when you get big enough, you are hiring somebody to take over this marketing. And the first thing in my experience with marketing is when you hire somebody, it makes sure it gets done. In the busy seasons, you are sticking to the plan and you are getting it done. And by having that specialist, they're seeing these opportunities that as a farm owner and operator, you're not going to see. And so that sweet spot of just being big enough that you can afford it gives you that expertise to answer, to think about all of the questions you put in your book and devise the plan and market it and not push it aside when you get busy. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a, a great example. The economics just do not favor people who can't maximize production. 
Myrna, re respectfully, I have to disagree with something that you said. Okay. I think I heard you say that some small farmers building their own website is fairly easy to do. And <laughs> Michelle is nodding. <laughs> She's coaching me, Myrna. I am doing that with a new project that I'm putting together. And mm -hmm. I have to say, there's been nothing easy about building my own website. I'm loving it. I'm learning a lot. But I just thought I'd chuckle for a moment with the two of you. But I'm, I'm agreeing with 99.99% of what you're saying, but I haven't been enjoying that as much as I should. I totally get that. I, I have experienced that with, there are many farmers who should not ever think about building their own website. There is such a thing as a one-page website that is, is basically like creating a Microsoft Word document. And so I would never encourage anybody to do a full-fledged website unless they want a second job or, you know, that involves learning a whole new skill set, unless they already happen to have that skill set. So I, 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 I totally agree with you. I, I, what I try to say in the book is that there are different levels. If you need a digital presence, here are some ways to do it at the simplest level. Here are some ways to do it at the, uh, you can create a, a, what I call a four page website, you know, that just has the homepage services about and contact us. The hardest part of creating a website is actually figuring out what you want to say. And that's where most people get stuck, not necessarily the technology because truthfully, some of the simplest web building platforms for Many people are accessible for many other people not, but they're they're easier to use than ever. But I would never want anyone to feel bad that that doing a website is taking them a long time, is is driving them crazy because it's it, if you don't have those particular skills, it can be hard. But my my I do feel that the hardest part of doing a website is deciding what you want to say, what should be on it. And the rest of it, you could, I would strongly recommend you to hire someone to do the rest of it. If, 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 if you don't want to become a web developer, you know, and it's not something that you enjoy. There's nothing simple about Peter's website either. It is not a one page website. It is a content creation hub. That is this going to be this amazing resource for people. So I would sort well, of add that difference. Like I, I really appreciate Myrna, how you constantly have layers of things and where people can access where they are. And I think that helps show where you've jumped into the deep end and maybe that's where you need to be. And maybe it, you know, you can pick an easier entry point. I do a lot of branding work with, with clients because the hardest thing in the world, even if you're a marketer yourself is to be able to boil down and simple, compelling language, what it is you do, what makes you special. I do feel that that is the biggest challenge. The technology, you can either do it yourself or get somebody to do it, but it's being clear. Uh, it, I don't think that's easy. Michelle, one thing that's striking me in meeting Myrna today and, and having a conversation with her, um, and I think 
ladies, this this kind of mirrors how we view agriculture from small grower perspective. And let me let me explain a bit. Our small growers largely act independently, enjoy being their own bosses. We are fortunate, Myrna, you, you referenced how small growers like helping one another. And that really is the foundation, a strong foundation for our county, state, and national grower associations that that whole uh, concept works because we want to reach out and help our, our fellow farmers. But what's striking me in this conversation, Michelle, is, okay, perhaps on the educational side of agriculture, we also have these small consultants, these small pockets of expertise and educators all acting independently. And I'm leaving this conversation, Myrna, thinking, well, somebody, some factions need to start connecting us together so that we can leverage all of our expertise and perhaps provide a more effective educational effort to these small growers. Because as I said earlier, geographically, the three of us are in each other's backyard here in, in New England and Massachusetts. But we didn't know of one another. If Michelle and I didn't attend a workshop together, we would have not met and, and created a podcast. So I'm going to leave this conversation thinking that it's also part of our responsibilities as small consultants and experts to find ways to, let's say, create some synergism between our independent activity so that we can uh, leverage all of that, as I said yeah, I'm in, I'm in total agreement with you there, and it's always so exciting for me to meet anyone who works with small farms, providing any form of technical assistance. And uh, there is an organization, one of I work with a lot of agricultural-related nonprofits, Agricultural Viability Alliance, which has an annual conference that brings together uh, people who do consulting with small farms. And they actually pushed to get funding in the USDA budget for basically small business centers focused on farming to offer more of the, what they like to refer to as one-to-one technical business technical assistance. So there does tend to be little more support for farms in terms of the growing, how to grow effectively but for the people who do uh, business plans for farms, marketing plans for farms, we're sort of, there are people who do it, but we're sort of, we're, we're not connected at all. And so my hope is that these, um, the regional business centers that are just got named all around the country. Like I know, for example, for New England, Cornell is going to be the lead there. So my my hope is that there will be more cross-pollination. I think there's tremendous duplication of effort because, you know, extension departments do a lot of education and do a lot of support. Um, everybody's got their workshops and so on. You know, I've got my book, other people have books, and I, I feel like it would mo- really benefit farmers if we kind of consolidated the knowledge in an effective way so that as as in many other industries so it wasn't so scattershot yeah 
I appreciate that. And I, you know, think that to wrap up your, both of your points just now that there's, we've been talking about relationships. And so whether that's farmers in an area working together and making each other stronger as, you know, competition, but also when you're short an item, having someone to go to, when you need a minimum, you know, being able to make it, sharing advice. So I definitely think that there's a lot there, how consultants, we can work together, but really your marketing was never about necessarily selling more. It was always about building a relationship with the customers that you wanted. And those skills I think are helpful no matter where you are, whether you're the farmer or the, you know, TA support or the farm viability group. So I I think it's really nice to take a break and talk about relationships and how they're so important to all of us in our continued growth. Well said. Well, I'd like to leave you with the opportunity to tell us where to find you. I purchased your book, Marketing Your Farm, a practical guide to attracting loyal customers and increasing sales on Amazon. But where else can our listeners find you? In addition to looking for the book on Amazon, you can also go, I created a website called marketingyourfarm.com. And I've started uh, interviewing farmers just to share their stories about what one or two tactics that they use to be able to market their farm. And so I try to keep it really short articles, fun, um, so that you get like a, a ideas here and there. So I want to, if there are any farmers out there who would like to be interviewed, I'm glad to add you to the blog post there and hope that people will come to that website and sign up for my email newsletter, which is doesn't flood the mailbox. It comes out usually every couple of months and shares the latest story, talks about speaking engagements, where I'll be at, so on. So I encourage anyone, and you can click on the link to the book, order the book from marketingyourfarm.com, or they can email me, hello at marketingyourfarm.com, and happy to answer their question. I do have a separate website for my consulting practice called goodeggmarketing.com. People can also reach me there. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Grower and the Economist. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us get discovered by new listeners. If you have questions, concerns, or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email me at michelle at I love hearing from you. Until next time.